Good evening, hushlings, and welcome. I present your preceptors to the underbelly of the void, the whispers of conjecture, and the known of the unknown. Thus begins the conclave of the Hush Hush Society. hushlings welcome back to another episode of the hush hush society conspiracy hour where we journey into the world of conspiratorial mysteries and dark truths i'm declassified dave and i'm mystery mike and as always we're joined by our high priest slick frank sanders yeah what i do my fellow hush tillians mike dave good evening Good afternoon. How are you? Uh, it's it's Hushtober. It's the end of Hushtober. Mm-hmm. And for mm-hmm. those hushlings that can't hear me right now, or can't see me right now, rather, I'm very festive. I'm wearing a mask. Well, let's see how long it lasts. Can you Looks tell? Like one of the one of the Rockefellers. <laughs> it sounds like uh, somebody shoved a popcorn ball in his mouth. Whatever do you mean? <laughs> Oh, there he is. Oh, the reveal. Oh, no. <laughs> the fucking reveal. His face is so sweaty. I've unveiled myself. It's like a glistening jack-o'-lantern. A Michael-lantern. Got hot in there. Today we will be discussing voodoo, a religion which commonly gets a bad rap, as it's vastly misunderstood, spanning from Africa, South America, the Caribbean, and even the mainland United States. With over 14 million practitioners in Nigeria, 6 million in Haiti, and 2.5 million in Togo, voodoo is a widespread spiritual movement with deep history and folklore. But before we go stick pins on our neighbor's eyes and put hexes on our exes, just want to remind you of all our social medias, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can reach out to us, talk to us, have a chat with us, send us some cool memes, tell us a joke, tell us what you want to hear next Hushtober. We would love to hear it. Uh, also, don't forget about those reviews. Those reviews are very important to us. They're important to you. They're important to every podcaster. They let us know whether or not we're doing a good job, bad job, or anywhere in between. You can leave that on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. And if you're interested in seeing more of us, check out www.hushhushsociety.com, the official website for your boys. You can find episodes just like this one, a blog section, links to our merchandise, and the direct link to our Rockfin, which is video. Yeah, and mentioning our Rockfin, if you're a little bit confused at the first few minutes of this episode, you can go over to our Rockfin and watch Mystery Mike being so festive, wearing a nice Halloween mask, but you can see all of the graphics and all of that good stuff. Watch Mystery Mike doing all sorts of faces. Watch Declassified Dave with all of his goofy expressions and watch me with... uh with the bearded face doing all sorts of hand gestures while I'm talking. Yeah. Head over to the Rockfin. It's a great time. It's very Italian of you. <laughs> that's, 
That's my that's sound. sound. Yeah. That's the sound. Yeah, the fucking gabagool. <laughs> Pasta fagioli. <laughs> fucking fagioli. All right, Hushlings, let's dive right into this one. This is going to be uh, lengthy. There are some pronunciations. If we fuck them up, we are sorry. It's. Uh, I'm not only... sorry. I'm not sorry. Uh, I'm yeah. going to butcher them with pride. With impunity. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, the origins of Voodoo or Voodoo is unknown, but its roots are attributed to Western Africa, more precisely Benin, which is modern-day Nigeria. In the local Fon language, Voodoo is translated as spirit and Voodoo as divine or idol. The religion was spread to the Caribbean islands and southern United States during the slave trades of the late 1700s evolving into different sects, beliefs, and practices, though the core tenets of the religion remain the same. The belief is of a divine creator with major and minor deities, a strong sense of ancestry, and the belief of the realm of the dead, which coincides with that of the living. Major deities control nature and everything that encompasses both living and inanimate. Minor deities are in charge of certain families, clans, or tribes. As we mentioned, there are various forms of voodoo, including West African voodoo, Haitian voodoo, Candomblé JJ, also known as Brazilian voodoo, Cuban voodoo, Dominican voodoo, hoodoo, Trinidadi voodoo, also known as Rada Fest, and Louisiana voodoo. In West African voodoo, the creator is known as Mawu or Mahu. She is an elderly woman who frequently embodies the loving and forgiving attributes of a mother. She is also regarded as the highest deity, ruling over all other gods. People pray to her, especially during difficult times. So far, voodoo does not sound uh, what I would normally think voodoo is. Not yet. Very earthy. It's like old school Wiccan kind of. Yeah. Rather spiritual. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Deep so far. Maybe not pin deep yet, but you know. <laughs> How do you define pin deep? Oh, 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 oh. Got it. Got it. Got it. Mm. Poor joke. Yeah. That was a bad <laughs> joke. Sorry. The creator symbolizes a cosmic duality where Mawu represents the lunar and feminine aspect, while Lisa embodies the solar and masculine aspect. They are frequently depicted as the twin offspring of the creator. So kind of like a yin and yang. You already have that aspect. However, in alternate narratives, Mawalisa is portrayed as a singular hermaphroditic entity with the ability to self-conceive, having two faces instead of being depicted as twins. Now that's weird. That's that whole duality thing. Mm. So. Yeah. According to this belief system, everything in creation is sacred and carries the divine essence. This viewpoint extends to the sphere of medicine, where herbal remedies and other everyday objects are considered as filled with heavenly energy. This understanding also supports the frequent usage of everyday objects in religious rites. Within Voodoo traditions, there are sacred artifacts known as fetishes. I have a few of those myself, which can include sculptures or preserved animal and human parts. These fetishes are treasured for their spiritual healing and rejuvenation properties, as they are thought to harbor spirits. The spirits who inhabit these fetish objects have various skills that correspond to their stage of development. These fetish items are frequently used in the creation of shrines which are used to conjure Voodoo deities and harness their related powers. So far, like I said, nothing too uh, malicious here. Yeah, except for you saying fetish fucking nine <laughs> times in 30 seconds. <laughs> As Voodoo pertains to ancestry and a strong familial bond, the matriarch of the family, known as the Queen Mother, is the firstborn daughter in the family lineage. She is one of the most influential members of the community. When her family collectively rules, she will lead the women of the village. Still not so bad. Yeah. 
mostly the African, the Western African part of voodoo is kind of this way. It's very chill. You'll see that it kind of combines with another religion. And it's not all that you think of when you think of voodoo. That is more on the hoodoo side or like the Louisiana voodoo, a little bit of that. Uh, some of the Haitian voodoo dives into that, but you'll see that as we go on. It's kind of cool that it's female-oriented. You're talking about the queen mother, the the firstborn daughter. It's very feminine in sorts of power Yeah, when it comes to voodoo. Yeah, and even with hoodoo and Louisiana voodoo, you'll see like a lot of the prominent figures are also women because they have like that divine energy. When it comes to the males, the males are most often portrayed as darker figures, even some embodying death or darkness. It's a pretty common theme within voodoo across Hmm. all variations of it. It's like real life, too. We're all pieces of shit. (laughs) What, us? Like us three? Like men? Pieces of shit? Yeah. Yeah, like us three. Yeah, just like us. <laughs> yeah, the the embodiment of death, the Hush Hush Society. <laughs> the high priestess of the village is the one that is appointed by the oracle. She may be called upon at any time in her life to serve as the covenant and aid in the worship of the creator. You can kind of think of them as nuns with more spiritual power. Voodoo priests and ancestral knowledge of the nature to shield people from the evil eye, both as a preventative and cure. They're frequently the initial point of contact as village doctors officiating over rites at shrines and temples. Getting like it's just a total shaman vibe. Yeah. A lot of that, yes. And I tried to do a little background into kind of what the oracle is beyond you know just the the title uh there's not much on it which is why we didn't really dive into it but i would imagine with that title it's kind of uh what you would think it is the spiritual leader i guess more in tune with the gods or the deities they're definitely rubbing a round object of sorts, slapping it from time to time. It might shimmer and glimmer. They're rubbing the magic ball. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like a strip club. Yeah. Anyways, as voodoo transformed and became more popular, the relationship to other more prominent religions became more apparent. Voodoo went through a period known as syncretism, where two religious beliefs share ideologies and become an amalgamation of something new. Christianity, being widespread in Africa, was the most likely candidate. Much of the creationism story and lore in both religions is very similar. This caused many to practice them simultaneously, although many Voodoo practitioners keep the two separate as they do not conflict with beliefs. You can practice them both, even though they're both seen as religions. That's interesting that they go like hand in hand in certain regions, like people will do both and that the the origin stories and and stuff like that is is a similar tale. I wonder why. Mm -hmm. why. As the slave trade of the 1500s began, so did the spread of voodoo into other regions of the world. With that piece of shit, Christopher Rape and Pillage Columbus landing on the island he dubbed Hispaniola, which would later become Haiti, so began Haitian voodoo. I have a feeling this is going to take a darker turn pretty soon. Over 15,000 slaves were sent from Africa to Haiti. These slaves would bring their culture in an amalgamation with the beliefs and practices of the native peoples, who also were enslaved, and would put a twist to the original voodoo movement. As with African voodoo, the synchronism with Catholicism existed. The practices and rituals of Haitian voodoo are varied with no one way set in stone. It's said if you ask a hundred different voodoo priests about voodoo, you will get a hundred different answers, much like many other things. Practitioners of Haitian voodoo are also known as voodists. Otherwise known as voodoussants or servitors. Mm. I don't know Sir, uh, that that whole French comes servitors. in with Haiti. Yeah, France. Yeah. Voodoo is the national religion of Haiti, and Haitian culture religious practices are often not considered entirely separate. 
and many Haitians follow both voodoo and Roman Catholicism. Voodoo doctrine imparts the belief in a supreme transcendent deity named Bondi, who presides over a pantheon of spirits known as Iwa. These spirits often draw their names and characteristics from traditional West and Central African gods, and are often likened to Roman Catholic saints. So that's interesting. Yeah, getting like, the oracle and using inanimate objects and having levels of hierarchy of gods and, and spirits is giving off that real old Greek into yeah. Roman Catholicism, like that type of vibe because when you're when you think about an oracle the first thing that comes to my mind is uh what was it 300 the guys with all the pimples on their faces and the girls tits hanging out and they got all the incense and all that stuff but when you look at like a roman catholic mass they have the giant incense burners and a lot of other religions do similar stuff to that so it's kind of like an oracle ceremony in itself that way too i mean yeah reading of the smoke the breathing in of the smoke yeah breathing in of the spirit yeah, it is very similar. Another weird part to this is that there is a simultaneous polytheistic religion, which these people are practicing, with a monotheistic religion. So I'm not sure if they look at it as just like the Christian or Catholic God being just an additional God to the overall list of them that they have, or if they see it as something completely different. Was it just them having characteristics or are they actually melding these two together? It's the characteristics that they both share. Now, we didn't, I didn't really dive into the Iwa because there are tons of them as far as like the deities and the spirits and what they control, what their names are, where they or originated from. There's tons of them. There's Western African ones. There's Haitian ones. Just as many versions of voodoo there's just as many versions of iwa or deities so we we could add like five episodes just listing those but a lot of them are very interesting do you think that voodoo has anything to do with the greeks or the romans going to egypt centuries ago or did voodoo exist before that point in time because you see this branch off sorts of Catholicism and Catholicism was like rampant amongst those two cultures. Obviously. Do you think it went further beyond that? The actual like start of voodoo as a religion is hard to pinpoint. They want to say it's around the 1500s that it started. So a little past that, I, I would say a little past that period it would start. I don't know if there's any correlation there. Like I said, there's a lot of religions that have, especially when you're talking about polytheistic religions that have multiple gods that control different things. I'm not so sure that one has to do with the other. I think it was just a bunch of white people ransacked Africa and brought their religion down. And This could be very ancient, and that's why you have all these deities and different you know very much in tune with the earth and the sky and like we said that yin and yang and then the introduction of christianity which i mean they're major portions of it definitely in africa but if you're talking like west africa and other parts of it, it's probably a melting pot of how that happened but 1500s is probably when we were like oh what's this another big major difference i would say when you're comparing voodoo the Western African voodoo with Greek or Roman mythology is that the gods and deities in voodoo actually give a shit about humans. They think that the world of the living and the world of the dead live, you know, parallel to each other. So they're kind of living on the same plane. And a lot of the Iwa and old deities were either former priests or priestesses or members of family of certain clans or tribes whereas roman and greek gods are assholes to humans you see that a lot though with lack of better words tribal people people that live out in nature people that live with nature and through nature like these west african folk and 
the 15, 14, 1300s were probably living out in the wilderness, whereas the Romans, the Greeks were living in these crazy metropolises, right? And just sort of to compare it to the Native Americans, they were very in tune with nature and their gods, they, they gave a shit about them and so forth with the West Africans. I don't know. Maybe it has something to do with living conditions. It's probably societal. I'm not sure. Yeah. Now, the Iwa were divided into two groups known as the Nanchan, or nations with the Rada and Peteu, being two of the most renowned, each with their own set of stories and traditions. Furthermore, voodoo is performed inside family circles and in secret groups such as the Bazingo, which allow the Iwa to possess a member of the family and communicate with them. Worshippers make offerings to the Iwa, which can include fruits, spirits, or animal sacrifice. Similar offerings are made to the spirits of the deceased. And that's mm. interesting. So that's where you start to get into that, like animal sacrifice and blood and all that type of stuff. But uh, just to take a step back, so the Bazongo, the group that Frank just mentioned, is actually a secret society. Got that vibe. Uh, in Haitian voodoo. And from what I read of them, they are more into the dark side of voodoo. Yeah. Maybe we could do an episode on them in the future. That would be interesting. The whole possession of a family member from like the, the like realm of the dead uh, mm -hmm. gives off that like CE5 contact. Yeah, and it's welcome too. Yeah. Like it's it's encouraged that they become possessed by these spirits. Strange. Yeah. It's very interesting. And then I was watching some of the rituals. Once a person becomes possessed by one of the spirits, obviously they go into like almost convulsions and dances. A lot of it is dancing and singing and drumming to kind of like get the spirits to be more willing to possess someone. And then once that person is possessed, they cover their face in this white powder to signify that they are a possessed person. It's very interesting. There's a, there's a lot of videos out there, so if you get a chance, just look it up. Yeah, you'll see. In voodoo belief, it is held that the Bondi created humanity in its own likeness. Anunnaki vibes right there, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Shaping human beings from a blend of water and clay. The faith teaches the presence of a soul referred to as the Esprit, or the Nam, which is divided into two distinct aspects. One is the T-Banani, often described as the inner conscious, enabling individuals to engage in self-reflection and self-evaluation. Your inner voice, essentially, just your inner thoughts, really. Yeah, your Jiminy Cricket. Oh, that whole created humanity in its own likeness. Like the Greek gods, too, they shaped humanity. But I guess God created people in his image in the bible if you're gonna go that route so. yeah supposedly if you're going that way yeah, yeah. or what it kind of reminded me of with the water and clay was like the creation of a golem in that whole story like a homunculus no. too like that type of yeah less sperm though the other aspect is the guobani which constitutes the psyche the wellspring of memory, intellect, and individual identity. Both of these components are thought to reside within a person's head, although the Guo Banani is believed to have the ability to leave the head and journey while a person is asleep. So astral travel, that's your astral body right there. Mm. There we go. All right, so these, these, people aren't, these people aren't whack jobs. <laughs> they know what they're talking about. They're tuned in. Maintaining secrecy plays a crucial role within voodoo, which is fundamentally an initiatory tradition, operating on a system of progressive induction and initiation. When an individual commits to serving an Iwa, it signifies a lifelong dedication. Ah, see, that's interesting. So when you commit to an Iwa, when you start to pray to it or give offerings to it, that is a lifelong bond. But does it follow you in the afterworld or the afterlife as well? 
Yeah, that is, that's an interesting one too. I, I wonder if it's also, if that is stuck to the family or the clan or that certain group that kind of does that. This is our family's Iowa. We always follow this one. Voodoo places a strong emphasis on oral tradition, with its teachings primarily passed down through spoken communication. However, in the mid-20th century, many practitioners began incorporating written texts into their practice. Ah, so it wasn't until like the 1900s that they started writing this shit down. So it was a real bad game of telephone. That's probably why there's so many variations of it. It was just like, I said this, you say that, and it's, it's, uh, it does its thing. And that also brings some some confusion as to when it really started. Like we said earlier, it could Mm -hmm. have been the early 1500s, but it could have been much, much, much earlier. Mm -hmm. Also with how widespread it was with where voodoo traveled to and the different religions that it mixed with and the different traditions of wherever it went. There's just so many, so many different things that it kind of vibes with. It's very complicated so far. The creation of sacred objects holds great significance in voodoo practice. Votive items commonly employed in Haiti are often crafted from modern materials such as iron, plastic, sequins, china, tinsel, and plaster. An altar known as P frequently features depictions, often lithographs, of Roman Catholic saints. Interesting. There it is again. The introduction of chromolithography in the mid-19th century had significantly influenced voodoo imagery, making images of these Catholic saints, which are equated with the Iwa, widely accessible. Mm-hmm. In a practice known as feeding the Iwa, practitioners surround their altars with grains, vegetables, and fruit, wines, and alcoholic spirits, and offerings from a live animal sacrifice usually consisting of the innards of the animal. Hmm, yum. Spirit possession plays a vital role in voodoo, serving as a central element in many of its ceremonies and rituals. The individual undergoing possession is known as the shawai, or horse, and the act of possession is often described as mounting a horse. Well then, well. In voodoo, it is believed that an Iwa can possess a person regardless of their gender or pronouns. He, his, she, schwas, they, them, clown, clown self, doesn't matter. Meaning that both male and female Iwa can take possession of either men or women, while children are commonly present at these rituals. They are seldom possessed due to their perceived risks involved. At times, the specific drums and songs employed are designed to invoke a particular Iwa, but occasionally an unexpected Iwa may manifest and take possession instead. So like some sort of false possession. In certain cases, a sequence of Iwa may consecutively possess the same individual. That is fucked. So you're trying, essentially you're trying to summon a particular spirit, but you're Mm -hmm. getting the wrong one. Or in some cases you might get the same one over and over and over and over again. Or you'll get multiple of the wrong ones in a row. That's risky. That's dangerous. Do you have any info on what they do when these wrong spirits show up? Like something they're not trying to summon, something they're not trying to get. Um, I would imagine it's mostly like, well, my husband won't be home for a couple hours, so do what you what want do. What do you mean? Oh, I don't no. know. <laughs> <laughs> no, is it like an exorcism no of sorts? Or I do they no, just I, like... I think they just roll with it, honestly. They just let, let yeah. it ride. It is what it is. That's fucked. Yeah. I think mostly they don't really have control over that. So it's not like they can say, okay, possession over. I don't want this one. Wow. Hmm. What's really interesting is that you're talking about like the certain beatings of drums and sound can actually put people into like a psychedelic state and certain frequencies can definitely do that. I'm interested to thinking more along the lines of them 
maybe getting the wrong beat. Or, and this was a thought that just kind of popped into my head, you have these people that are simultaneously practicing Catholicism. Are maybe they being possessed by demons? Right. And to to intertwine Dave's thought, if these drum sequences and these songs that they're singing can in fact open gateways to allow something else here, whether it's demons, whether it's angels, deities, you name it, you might be targeting one, but you're opening a door to all of them. You're opening a door to all of them. And that very well could be the case. I don't know. That's a scary one. Yeah. I wonder how many of those possessions have gone wrong where the person like turns violent or dies even. Probably a bunch of them. Hmm. More than we would know, given the fact that none of this shit was written down for hundreds and hundreds of years. It was just word of mouth. Yeah. That's scary. That's a scary thought to like not have that control. And expect to go into something on a positive note and you end up just getting railroaded by four shitty demonic like entities and it, you're just convulsing and freaking everybody out in the fucking tribe or village and it doesn't seem like that was the intended purpose for that type of channeling i guess i guess you'd say now the state of the trance that accompanies possession is referred to as the kriz iwa According to voodoo belief, during this process, the Iwa enters the Chwai's head and temporarily displaces their Guoban Anj, leading to a physical trembling and convulsions. As the Chwai's consciousness is thought to leave their head during possession, they typically have no recollection of events that transpire during this time. What is a Guoban Anj? <laughs> I don't know. That's kind of their consciousness. Oh, okay. It's your astral consciousness leaving. Yeah, I'm also wondering, where do they go? Where does that consciousness go? Same place it came from, baby. Like, are they swapping places? Like the Iwas getting into their body and their consciousness is traveling to where the Iwa came from, which would put them maybe in the land of the dead? Dude, you're thinking about it too hard. It's the sweet <laughs> spit of the universe. It's the sweet, <laughs> sweet spit of the universe. That's what it is. Yeah. Sweet galactic jism. <laughs> the duration of possession can vary, ranging from a few hours to several days, and it may conclude with the shuai entering a semi-conscious state, often feeling physically drained. Some attendees at these ceremonies take precautions against possession, such as placing certain items like wax in their hair or headgear. That's a lot of galactic schmegba there. Hushlings. We will return after these brief messages. Greetings, Hushketeers. You may have heard the conspiracy theories regarding the connection between Disney or Pixar characters. Or the disappearance of Walt Disney's body after his death. Or that no one dies in a Disney park. As well as other dark theories. Could all of the magic of your childhood be ruined because of Disney using alleged mind control programs? much like MKUltra, as well as occult rituals, sexual deviancy, and more recently, the inclusion of sexual orientation and gender identity in its works. Sprinkle on some magic with us on Monday, November 13th, for Disney Part 1. Welcome back to the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. Healing holds a significant role within voodoo practice. When a client seeks assistance for an illness or misfortune, they approach a mandbo or organ who employs a divination to identify the root cause and prescribe a remedy. These spiritual leaders typically possess extensive knowledge of a medical benefit plant or their applications. To facilitate healing, they often recommend therapeutic baths, water infused with various ingredients, or powders crafted for specific purposes like attracting good fortune or enhancing seductive abilities. So this is the idea of a voodoo doctor. Medicine man. 
And it's interesting because as you move to the United States with voodoo, uh, especially with hoodoo or Louisiana voodoo, a lot of these voodoo doctors are legit. They have like practices. They're seen as like alternative medicine and they make a lot of money off of that. They also create like talismans and different things for people. So it's a good form of money, especially in Louisiana. Voodooists may also create material objects known as wanga, infused with spirits or medicinal properties, although these can be employed for both benevolent and malevolent intentions. Mm. Voodoo doctrine asserts that various supernatural forces can be responsible for the origin or intensification of many problems. According to this belief system, humans can unwittingly or intentionally inflict supernatural harm upon others. In the latter case, individuals may exercise power over someone through the possession of personal items, such as hair or nail clips. Fetishes. Give me nails. Fetishes. Yep, fetishes. There, there it is. is. There it is. <laughs> Bro, I need I I leave nail clippings everywhere. See, you gotta stop doing that. Somebody's gonna take possession of you, bro. Probably. They probably already did. Voodoo practitioners also commonly hold the belief that supernatural harm can be inflicted by other entities. For instance, the Eoguao, a creature that can transform a human to animal form, is often depicted as a female who drains blood from succumbing victims. Also, members of the secret society known as the Bazinga, which we mentioned earlier, are feared for their reputed ability to transform into dogs and roam the streets at night. So we're talking about vampires and werewolves right there. Vampires, werewolves, and skinwalkers, and skinwalkers yeah. yeah. It's all coming in. Barons and voodoo represent deities associated with death and cemeteries, with the most potent among them being the Baron Samadhi. He manifests as a slender, dark-skinned man donning a hat and carrying a walking stick. Another prominent figure, Baron LaCroix, assumes the appearance of a skeleton and responds to inquiries with sarcasm, emanating an eerie aura. Are they just naming cryptids off, like Slender Man and Hat Man and uh, the Grim Reaper? Well, so Baron Samadhi is, uh, he's one of the most prominent of what you would see in popular culture as a voodoo doctor. When you're thinking of, of voodoo, you're thinking of the man with the skull painted on his face wearing a top hat. That is Baron Samadhi. Okay. So exactly like in that, that oh, there was a Disney movie that had a guy that was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Princess and the Frog. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Some of the old school like black and white movies when you're talking about voodoo, old school universal movies. A lot of that stuff is. I believe there was actually a wrestler back in the day, Baron Samadhi. A lot of these things and, and the images that you see or think of when it comes down to voodoo are just things that are perpetuated by popular culture and movies. Baron Cemetery Bumba, with his sinister appearance and unsettling demeanor, evokes fear in those who encounter him. These deities are characterized by the colors black and purple. Voodoo rituals dedicated to the barons are performed exclusively at night, typically within a cemetery. Suitable offerings and sacrifices for these deities include coal, black candles, purple flowers or stones, as well as rum and black chickens. That's how you can get me. Rum and chicken? Psh, there. An individual who turns to the Iwa for the purpose of harming others is referred to as a choche or chooch. That's what we like to call them. Fucking, Fucking chooch. chooch. Or boko or a voodoo doctor. These individuals are described as a certe du mans, signifying that they work with both hands. Rejected by benevolent Iwa, Boko are believed to collaborate with Iwa Achte, spirits who serve anyone willing to pay them. Often these spirits are associated with the Petu Nachan. We talked about nations earlier and how they were split into two groups. So the Petuo nation is the one that these kind of mercenary or uh, freelance Iwa are a part of. In Haitian popular belief, Boko are thought to engage in orchestrating actions that bring about sudden illness and death by turning the deceased against a person. 
they employ malevolent spirits, sometimes taking on the form of animals. The curses cast by Boko can be countered by Ungan and Manbo, or witch doctors, who can reverse the curses through exorcism involving protective Iwa invocations, massages, and baths. Mm, put those hands on me. Regrettably, in Haiti, some Ungan and Mambo have been accused of colluding with Boko to curse individuals as they profit financially from the subsequent removal of these curses. So they're working both ends of it. They are sicking these, uh, these bad spirits on people and then charging the people to get rid of the bad spirits. They are uh, like, essentially certes like, du monde. Although many stories of voodoo hexes and curses have been fictional tales, there are real-life instances of violence and even death involving voodoo and its practitioners. Adolfo Castanazzo, a cult leader and serial killer, practiced an unconventional branch of Haitian voodoo in the 1980s. During this period, he provided psychic readings and performed rituals for dangerous drug cartels and contract killers. His services included casting spells for good fortune, cursing adversaries, and seemingly shielding his clients from law enforcement. His rituals featured the gruesome sacrifice of various animals, including chickens, goats, snakes, and even humans. Hushlings, this is where we take a dark turn. <laughs> I think we should look into this one in the future. I'm already intrigued. Constanzo's descent into infamy reached a critical point when his followers kidnapped an American student named Mark Kilroy for use in a sacrificial ceremony. Yikes. Law enforcement initiated a hunt for Kilroy, ultimately leading them to Constanzo's place of operation. Upon raiding his ranch, they uncovered a horrific scene with 15 mutilated bodies and Kilroy's dismembered remains. Fearing capture, Constanzo went to the extent of ordering one of his followers to shoot him to avoid being apprehended by the police. This guy was a lifer. That's gross, man. We got to find out this cult. Simon Warner's body was discovered shot on March 22nd of 1957. Warner saw himself as a, quote, crime doctor who used his psychic powers to solve or prevent crimes. I was wondering about those people. Hmm. When Moses H. Martin stepped through his door seeking healing magic for a stomach ache, he didn't see his own murder coming. Martin claims he paid Warner $50 for a cure, but his stomach illness worsened. Warner had hexed him on purpose, he believed. He went on to say, I shot him because he double-crossed me in voodoo. He confessed that to Officer Dunwood Thompson. I'd shoot anyone who double-crossed me in black magic the way he did. Hmm. Hmm. A little revenge? A little voodoo revenge? Within the realm of politics, a certain level of intimidation is not uncommon. Yet in the case of Anna Prier, a mayoral candidate in North Miami... The intimidation she encountered was rather peculiar. In 2013, Pierre's campaign office was surrounded with voodoo paraphernalia. These items were associated with Haitian voodoo rituals and consisted of chickens, candles, food scraps, pennies, and voodoo dolls pierced with pins. Pierre publicly voiced her belief that someone was attempting to force her out of the race, you think? Despite the unsettling display, she remained resolute and refused to withdraw from the campaign. In her appeal to the public, she requested prayers and later made claims of receiving an endorsement from Jesus. Following her electoral defeat, Pierre attributed her loss to what she perceived as voters choosing Lucifer instead. Wasn't her fault. Was not her fault. Well, Hushlings, you might be asking yourself about voodoo dolls because they're a very popular part of this. Speaking of them, a voodoo doll typically describes an effigy intended for the insertion of pins, a practice observed in various magical traditions across different cultures globally. It's worth noting that voodoo dolls, despite their name, do not play a significant role in Haitian voodoo or Louisiana voodoo. Hmm, hmm, hmm. 
The concept of the voodoo doll is only loosely connected to either Louisiana voodoo or Haitian voodoo, as it's actually derived from the European tradition of puppets. The act of inserting pins into a doll shaped like a human to cause harm may have only been mistakenly associated with African-derived traditions. So the use of such dolls is not common practice within these voodoo traditions. Moreover, the high priesthood of Louisiana voodoo has declared voodoo dolls as irrelevant to the voodoo religion itself. The rise in popularity in the perception of voodoo dolls as tools of practitioners was mainly perpetuated by pop culture. In Western voodoo, they do use certain dolls, but they're not like voodoo dolls with pins in them. They look like they're dolls that might have pin heads in them. They're kind of covered in these little round metallic kind of dimples. They may have thought were pins in themselves, uh, but they're mostly just made to be representations, like physical representations of Iwas. Voodoo encompasses intricate funeral customs. Upon an individual's passing, the Desunan ritual is performed to release the Guo Banani, so to release that inner consciousness, from the deceased body and sever their connection with their guiding Iwa. Ah, see, so the connection with the Iwa ends when they die. So it is just a personal thing to that one person. Subsequently, the body is cleansed with an herbal infusion by a figure known as the Benyei, who imparts messages for the departed to carry with them. This ritual is followed by a vigil referred to as the Veye. Many voodoo practitioners hold the belief that a practitioner's spirit resides in the land of Genen, located at the depths of a lake or river for a period of one year and a day. So just 366 days at the bottom of a river. Sounds like Hades. Right? Yeah, yeah. that's what I was thinking. A widely sensationalized facet of Haitian religion revolves around beliefs concerning the dead particularly the concept of zombies. Hmm, spooky. These zombies are often seen as the guo benai of recently departed individuals who have been captured and compelled to toil for their master. Ooh, shit. So somebody captured their consciousness and put them in another body. Now they're slaves. Wild stuff. These captured spirits are sometimes confined within containers, like bottles or other vessels. The practice of zombification is frequently linked to Shempuai, which are secret societies suspected of being involved in the murder of individuals they intend to transform into zombies. So they're specific groups, uh, secret societies, that are there just murdering people to turn them into zombies. Wild, wild. Too much. Too much. You think that shit's still happening today? There's stories of people that say that, you know, they've had that stuff, the, the powder blown into their face, and then they were taken to an ATM and emptied out their bank account, and it makes people very pliable to what other people want them to do. Those stories are actually very uh, prominent. So, at least in that respect of, of somebody being a zombie, that's, that's a real thing. To accomplish this zombification, they may acquire the remains of a deceased person, particularly their skull, sometimes through the bribery of cemetery workers. So, they're going out of their way. Mm -hmm. The skull is often subjected to a baptism-like ritual and assigned a specific purpose, such as the ability to cure a particular ailment. Those seeking to obtain a guabanai as a zombie may need to obtain or purchase them from a barren samadhi. An alternative belief within Haitian folklore states that it is the body itself that is transformed into a zombie. In this scenario, a boko has seized an individual's tibanani, leaving the body as an empty vessel that can be manipulated. The actual existence of this phenomenon is a topic for debate. So they're saying these bad actors, these shitty people, are 
pretty much stealing the consciousness of these people when they die and then keeping their body alive to be a zombie. Mm. Wild. Wild. Mm. However, anthropologist Wade Davis argued that this concept is rooted in a real practice in which Bazongo societies use poisons to make certain individuals more compliant. Kind of like what I was talking before. Haitians in general do not fear zombies. Instead, they fear the prospect of becoming one themselves. Hell yeah, that shit is scary. The figure of the zombie has also been interpreted as a metaphor symbolizing the historical enslavement central to Haitian history. Hmm. Clarius Narcissi was a Haitian man who asserted that he had been transformed into a zombie through Haitian voodoo practices and compelled into a life of servitude. His account was initially thought to be the result of administering a mixture of psychoactive substance, which left him in a state of apparent lifelessness. One of the leading advocates of this theory was Wade Davis, an ethnobotany graduate student at Harvard University who produced two well-received books based on his experiences and insights during and shortly after his graduate studies. However, subsequent investigations involving the use of analytical chemistry techniques and a critical review of earlier findings failed to corroborate the presence of essential active compounds in the purported zombie concoction. These compounds were integral to the mechanism and phenomenon initially proposed by Davis. Wade Davis came up with this thought process that they were using these toxins to turn people into zombies, and then it was found out that certain things were missing and couldn't have happened. Uh, Maybe it was busted. Maybe that whole uh, zombie thing isn't real. Now, as the slave trade grew from the Caribbean to mainland USA, so did the traditions of voodoo, and Louisiana voodoo was born. Although many of the beliefs stayed the same new characters of the voodoo movement emerged. There was Marie Laveau, a prominent figure in New Orleans. Known for her practice of voodoo, expertise in herbalism, and role as a midwife. Many people have probably heard of Marie Laveau. I have. While some portrayals of Marie Laveau in popular culture label her as a witch, others recognize her as a voodoo priestess. She's frequently referred to as Voodoo Queen. At the time of her passing, various news sources, including the New York Times, described her as a woman of remarkable beauty, intelligence, and charisma. She was also known for her devoutness, acts of charity, and proficiency as an herbal healer. Certain practitioners of Louisiana voodoo revere Laveau and pray to her as if she was an Iwa spirit, seeking her assistance and channeling her through spirit possession. However, not all practitioners of Louisiana voodoo engage in this practice, so not everybody sees her as an Iwa. Mixed bag right there. In her role as a voodoo practitioner, Laveau was a sought-after figure for addressing a wide array of concerns, including family conflicts, health crises, financial troubles, and more. She conducted her services primarily in three locations, her personal resident on St. Anne Street within Ghost Square and at Lake Pontchartrain. Laveau had held the distinction of being the third female voodoo leader in New Orleans, with the initial leadership held by Santi Dedi, who ruled briefly before being replaced by Marie Salope. Following Marie's passing, her strong presence resulted in a significant decrease in the number of adherents to the New Orleans voodoo. One of the most renowned voodoo figures in New Orleans was Dr. John, also known as Bayou John. He had an intriguing life story. Having been born in Senegal and subsequently kidnapped as a slave, eventually finding himself in Cuba, Dr. John later relocated to New Orleans, initially working as a cotton roller and became part of a local voodoo community. Gaining reputation as a highly skilled voodoo healer and fortune teller, Louisiana or New Orleans voodoo introduced charms known as grigri. 
They are crafted for purposes of either causing harm or bestowing help. A common type of charm designed for protection or to attract luck involves enclosing materials within red flannel and wearing them around the neck, kind of like a lumberjack. It's believed that greed-greed charms intended to inflict actual harm do so by either leveraging the power of suggestion or by containing substances to which the victim is exposed. So, lead poisoning. An example of a voodoo curse involved placing an object inside the victim's pillow, while another method entailed depositing a coffin, which could be a small model or a large representation, inscribed with the victim's name on their doorstep. Imagine you just open up your door and there's a fucking coffin with your name on it. The fuck? Like when, like when you get the bullet left, the single bullet left on the hood yeah, of your car. Yeah. That's some sinister shit, man. In different instances, voodoo practitioners sought to hex others by leaving black crosses, salt, or concoctions involving mustard, lizards, bones, oil, and grave dust at the victim's doorstep. To counteract these hexes, some individuals cleansed their doorstep or sprinkled it with powdered brick. Southern hoodoo further took voodoo into another transformation. Hoodoo is less of a religion and more of a spiritual movement. Practitioners are known as root workers. The focus of hoodoo is on natural substances with supernatural effects to the human experience. Conjuration is more common in hoodoo, as is animal sacrifice, cauldrons, wands, and other charms that are often used. Hoodoo in practice is more similar to traditional witchcraft or paganism. For instance, there are accounts of former slaves using graveyard soil as a means of escaping slavery through the Underground Railroad. These individuals would apply graveyard earth to the soles of their feet or scattering it along their path to ensure their safe passage to freedom. The embrace of occultism and mysticism is evident in the use of colored wax candles encased in labeled glass jars, each designed to particular intentions like, quote, fast luck or love drawing. Among African Americans, some individuals marketed hoodoo products within their own community. Hoodoo, and, and they still do to this day, actually. Uh, hoodoo introduced the idea of different places within the spiritual planes, such as the crossroads, a spiritual supernatural crossroads that symbolizes communication between the worlds of the living and the world of the ancestors. And I do wonder, uh, there's stories of the crossroads, especially within Southern lore. Who did we talk about in the 27 Club? The one uh, that the, all of a sudden... The, yeah, the, the crossroads. Song. Yeah, yeah. Old Southern jazz, yeah. There are many traditions among the practices of Haitian voodoo, Louisiana voodoo, and hoodoo. Although some elements can be used for harm or bad luck, the majority of voodoo religion is about healing, good fortune, and honoring the ancestral family. There are many variations to the different sects of voodoo, but the core beliefs are the same. Over the decades, voodoo has been portrayed as witchcraft or black magic with ill intent towards its users or those that oppose it. Voodoo is a product of internationally traded slaves, continuing the traditions of family and spirits so far from home. Now, Hushlings, we're going to jump into the Reddit section. There wasn't much on Reddit uh, besides just talking about different places that practice voodoo. A little bit of information here and there, but there was just this quick little post that we found on the Reddit conspiracy theories that was posted four years ago by user Music Fanatic. French Montana, I believe he's a rapper, says he believes yeah. he was poisoned by voodoo on food when he went home to Africa to visit family he hadn't seen in 25 years. And that's how he ended up on life support in ICU. He didn't just get botulism. You know, that's what a lot of people were saying, honestly, in the Reddit. They were like, you sure it wasn't him just going to a really, really terrible unhealthy place and just eating food off of flies Could have been the water man, <laughs> not even the food man i'm just gonna say this shout out french montana french montana's banging 
but I also listen to a fair amount of like underground rappers that are from the Louisiana, New Orleans underground scene. And the voodoo is huge for no fucking reason in the underground rap scene. It's got a good aesthetic. Like actual voodoo or like the voodoo as it's portrayed in pop culture? No, like actual voodoo is huge in the underground rap scene, especially in like New Orleans. Like rappers that come out of New Orleans, they're rapping about voodoo constantly. And that could have something to do with where they're from and the culture Mm -hmm. around it. Yeah, voodoo did help especially shape what New Orleans is now, what it is today. That culture definitely did a lot there. There's also Virginia voodoo. There's South Carolina voodoo. There's a bunch of different variations of voodoo. A lot of it is compared to like Santeria and traditional witchcraft. Some of it is very Southern where it's traditions looking at involving snakes and stuff like that. There are a lot of variations to it. So it is pretty widespread. As we said, there are millions of practitioners still to this day across the world. It's still pretty relevant. Wild stuff. Yes. Hushlings. It is time for our final thoughts. I know it was a lot of information to take in a lot of uh, really bad pronunciations. We apologize. We tried. Interested to hear what the boys have to say. Declassified. Dave, what do you got on Voodoo? Uh, from what I can take in from all of this so far, there's a lot of information, and I'm sure we only scratched the surface of it to really understand a little bit. Uh, so it's hard for me to really place my thoughts on it. I guess the only thing I'll say is it's very much like any religion or any practice that's done. There's good and there's bad sides to it, and there's many branches. So this is a super interesting one. And realistically, I was ignorant and only thought that there was one side to this as opposed to just multifaceted, massive, uh, I guess, global type of practice and religion. I'm actually going to look more in, in on it from here on out. Yeah, I would agree. When I was doing the research for it, it is vast. I thought that it was going to be a quick one. I thought it was definitely kind of only located in Haiti and Louisiana. And then you start to see that it's pretty much anywhere that the slave trade traveled, that it expanded to, and then it changed into just these different versions of it. When I did this outline, it was literally like double the size of what it is now. And then I cut it down and cut it down and cut it down. So there is a lot, a lot, a lot to it, Uh, especially it being a religion and a lot of the stuff that they had to go through throughout the 1800s practicing voodoo in America. Uh, There's a lot of history there some practices with the government making it so that African-Americans couldn't practice any religion in the South that there was a period there. So, you know, there's a lot of history behind it. There's a lot of history behind it in Africa in the Caribbean and definitely in the United States. And it's shaped a whole lot of parts of Southern United States for sure. There's some scary parts to it. Becoming a zombie. Nobody wants to become a zombie, whether you're doing somebody's bidding or eating brains. I like that it holds on to family and ancestors and really dives deep into that culture. Slick Frank Sanders. What do you got for voodoo? My boy. Frank's final thought. Yo, I think that this episode on voodoo is pretty interesting. I think that looking at it as a religion, it's unique in the sense that it looks at consciousness. It looks at, like you said, ancestors and the whole bloodline as a sorts. It looks at zombies and possession and those aspects of consciousness as a whole and what happens after death and so on and so forth. It's really a fascinating aspect on life and the afterlife, and I look forward to learning more. This was a good one. Very eye-opening. Like Dave said, I I thought it was just one-sided. I thought it was just a lady putting pins in a doll in some sort of dark room and that's not it that's not it this goes back hundreds if not 
thousands of years into the past and we don't know when it started and we don't know where it will end. Well, that is going to do it for us hushlings. What'd you think? Did we mention things that you didn't know before? Should we have collected our hair clippings and and nail clippings so that nobody puts a hex on us? Let us know. Reach out to us, as always, our email, contact at hushhousesociety.com. And don't forget to tune in for another festive month. Hush giving. And we're feeling mighty uh, giving. So we're actually going to give you guys two parts. Maybe not all November, but two parts to uh, something family-oriented. Disney. Conspiracies of uh, sparkly and happy kind part one coming monday november 13th and for our next exclusive debriefing on thursday november 16th we will be covering the challenger disaster that's right that big old explosion you can catch that on patreon if you're not subscribed already go on check it out we're gonna be hitting all the keynotes did they blow up didn't they blow up? Are they still alive? Check it out. They're alive. They're alive. They're alive. I heard they held on to a bunch of balloons and floated away before it exploded. And then in 2023, yeah. they shot them down with uh, F-35s. And those are the balloons that we saw. Hushlings, thank you so much for joining us for a our third Hushtober. Uh, we will see you next year, and we will see you in two weeks for Disney Part 1. I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Mystery Mike. And I'm Slick Frank Sanders. Until our next debriefing, remember, the best kept secrets are hidden in plain sight. <laughs>